0: Well, I invite you to take out your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. It's about two-thirds of the way back in your Bibles. And if you didn't bring one, we say this every week, we should have a black Bible near you in the seat rack close by. And if you want to open that up and turn to page 621, we'll be looking at Daniel 9 today. If you haven't been with us, we're in a series called No Matter What. And we're studying the book of Daniel this summer. We're making our way one chapter a week. And uh, the series sentence is, no matter what, God is in control. Do you mind saying that with me? No matter what, God is in control. That's what the book of Daniel teaches us a lot. We saw that the first six chapters show different high points in Daniel's life uh, in the 70, uh, 80 years of his life there in Babylon. But now we're going to see in these last six chapters some apocalyptic visions he had while he was exiled away from Jerusalem, away from Israel. And we're making our way through some of those. Now today, if you're following along in the notes, I hope you'll see this. Is that in Daniel 9, we have Daniel's prayer and the prophecy God gives him. We have Daniel's prayer and the prophecy or the vision that God gives him. And that's what we're going to spend time talking about today. I want to be honest right up front. I am not going to spend as much time on the prophecy as I'm going to spend on the prayer because before we take communion today, we felt like we were supposed to spend time learning from Daniel's prayer, which is the largest part of this chapter anyway, about confession. And before this service is over, before we take communion, we're going to actually give every person an opportunity to practice confession. I'll explain more about that in a little bit. But let me just tell you right up front why I think... At least I need this message and why I think we need this message from Daniel 9. It's for this reason. Deep confessing leads to deep blessing. Shallow confessing leads to shallow living. And here's the rub. The rub, at least for me, I don't know if it is for you, but the rub is, is that I find it easy to avoid confessing. I find it easy to settle for shallow confessing as I make my way through this life with God than I do deep confessing. But if you're interested, as we say we are, in moving from shallow Christianity into a deeper relationship with God, then this prayer that Daniel prays in Daniel 9 can be unbelievably helpful for us. And so I'm excited as we think about looking at this prayer. So again, we're going to look at his prayer of confession and then the prophecy God gives him and see how it applies to our life. Would you pray with me before we look at this passage? Now, God, all of us, all of us are hoping that we will encounter you today. Even if we don't know it yet, deep down, all of us have a hunger to know you. And I pray that what would happen today is that we would be conscious of your manifest presence, that you would be gracious to us and meet us here and reveal yourself to us like you did to Daniel. In your name we ask. Amen. Okay, I'm going to open starting reading, and when we get to verses 2 through 4, I'm going to ask you to be ready to read it there on the message notes there, uh, so if you'll be ready to follow along with me. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, this takes us back to what happened in uh, the end of chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 6, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom after Babylon. The Babylonians said, "Let it. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures. Now let's read that part uh, in the first year of his reign. Let's read what happens after that in that first gray box. I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. And um, he talks about how he confessed. And before we read the prayer, let me just make a few observations if you're using the notes and following along. First, notice that Daniel's prayer of confession is God-centered and shaped by Scripture. Scripture. Daniel's prayer of confession that we're going to read in just a few moments, you're going to just see, it is God-centered. I don't just mean that he uses God a lot. I mean that you can tell that his life is more about being aware of how things affect God than just himself. And uh, he, he wants God's name to be lifted up. He wants God's plan to be carried out. He is God-centered, and this prayer is not just all the right words, it's his heart. His prayer confession is God-centered, and it's shaped by Scripture. Now, what we didn't read there in that gray box, uh, in between the dots, is this phrase. It says, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures, according to the word of the Lord had given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. What he says is, as I've been reading the Bible, as I've been spending time here in exile and trying to understand, you know, God, what are you up to? What's your timetable? When is this going to happen? He said, God showed me. We were only going to be in exile before something began to change for 70 years. And that even Babylon, as great as they were, their rule was going to come to an end, and of course it did. The Medes and the Persians, as we saw last week, uh, they began to overtake. Where do we get this? If you look at Jeremiah 25 up here on the screen, uh, this is what Jeremiah had prophesied years before, and Daniel's been reading his Bible. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation and the land of the Babylonians for their guilt, declares the Lord, and will make it desolate forever. So again, the Babylonians will not ultimately... Uh, triumph more than 70 years. Look at this, Jeremiah 29. This is what the Lord says. When, how many years, friends? 70 years are completed for Babylon. I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Now, some of you quote this next verse a lot. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. So Daniel's been reading his Bible. Friends, one of the reasons why we encourage you to be in the Bible every day is not just to be a holy roller. It's to be someone who can be shaped by how God thinks, what God's up to. Everything spins around God. But it doesn't always spin around God for us, does it? We're not always God-centered. We're not always Scripture-shaped. But we can be more and more if we will give ourselves like Daniel did. And as a result of that, God showed him some things that began to make him full of anticipation. Now, most of the time, if that happened, most of us would go, well, God, good for you. Hope you do that. Back to what I was doing. No, this throws him into prayer. Now he begins to say, oh God, oh God, I want what you want. Oh God, show me how to be part of what you're doing. Oh God, prepare my heart. Now notice the second thing, Daniel's prayer of confession isn't just for himself, if you're following along, it isn't just for himself, but it's for God's people. In other words, he's not just praying, oh God, do something for me, do something in me, but do something for your people, of which I get to be part of. And now notice, he uses these pronouns in this prayer we're going to listen to in just a few moments, he uses pronouns like we, our Us, at least 34 times. There may be a few more than that, but that's what I counted this week when I was looking. Wow. So now think about this. When he prays this, he doesn't say, oh God, forgive them. You you guys remember back in Daniel 6, how when we studied that, Daniel's coworkers were looking for dirt on Daniel so they could bury him, and they couldn't find anything. And we never see one sin Mentioned in the book of Daniel that he committed. Yet we find Daniel praying, I am confessing my sin. But I'm not only confessing my sin, I'm part of a people that sinned. I'm willing to identify myself. I don't know about you, but sometimes when Christians do shameful things, I want to separate myself and say they're not my brother and sister. Daniel does not do that. He is humble. And his prayer, he understands, oh God, I'm praying as part of your people and for your people this prayer. It's beautiful, friends. It's beautiful. I can't wait to read it. So let's do that. Verse four. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Now notice how God centered this is. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong we have been wicked and have rebelled we have turned away from your commands and laws we have not listened to your servants the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings our princes and our ancestors and to all the people of the land lord you are righteous but this day we are covered with shame the people of judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame. Lord, because we have sinned against you. Lord, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing. Has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. Now, when he says, look, all this stuff that's come on us is a fulfillment of what you promised would come on us through the law of Moses. And I can just give you one location if you ever want to look at it Deuteronomy 28 and 29 are the blessings and curses that God says, look, this covenant I'm making with you, I want you to know I want to bless you. That's my heart towards you. But if you decide to go your own way, if you decide to rebel against me, then I want you to know the consequences that will come upon you. And they are severe. They are are something that should cause you to stop and at least pay attention. But again, what Daniel's saying is they did not. And so he says, what's happening to us is what you promised would happen to us if we disobeyed you, and we are getting what we deserve. You're faithful. You're true. You're a good father and God. You carry out the discipline you said you would, and I worship you for that. Incredible. Then he goes on. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt, he refers to something God did so mercifully, with a mighty hand, and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day. We have sinned. We have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now our God... Hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. He's talking about hear my prayers, hear my petitions. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear our God and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make request of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive Lord, hear and act for your sake, my God. Do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Now, he's just prayed this incredible prayer of confession. What does it mean to confess? If you're following along in the notes, notice this. The word confess means to say the same as. God says. It means to say the same as. Someone would say, if you confess something, you agree with what is being said, when you confess it. And this is why this is important. Because when it comes to confessing, shallow confessing settles for less than that. Shallow confessing does not say the same as God says. Shallow confessing minimizes or avoids or rationalizes or downplays what God is putting his finger on. Therefore, we will call gossip sharing. We will call adultery an affair. We will call a judgmental spirit evaluating. And friends, when God starts putting his finger on it, he says, I want you to call it what it is in your life. Not because I'm trying to humiliate you beyond measure, but because I want you, until you do that, you're not dealing with reality. Come on, be the kind of person that is mature enough that is honest enough that you will say what I say, my word, it is. And I just have found this to be so helpful that when I've finally been able to stop jumping around and calling it something other than it is, when he puts his finger on it, to say, God, this is, and it is serious, and it is against you. Wow. You know, David, when he, I list out to the right there, Psalm 51, 4, he says this, against you and you only have I sinned, and therefore you are right in, in what in in judging me you're you're right on, and I'm not going to you know call it something other than that. Another thing I want you to see is this is that Daniel's prayer of confession isn't for a relationship, but restored fellowship with God. It isn't for a relationship, but it's for restored fellowship with God, this is important. Let me just take a few moments to talk about this. Whenever you talk about confession in Christian circles, there are some that would say, once you become a Christian, you no longer need to confess your sins. That's for unbelievers. And the the, the reasoning is this. Hey, didn't Christ forgive all our sins on the cross? That's that's, That's a fair question, isn't it? So why do we confess our sins? Well, Jesus taught, for instance, In the Sermon on the Mount, in the Lord's Prayer, he taught his disciples now, not pagans, unbelievers. He said, pray this way, forgive us our debts as we also forgive those who sin against us, right? So he commended that. And then in the Sermon on the Mount, he had already said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn, not necessarily mourn because someone died, but mourn over their sin condition, over their brokenness. Blessed are the meek, those that are humble enough and leadable and teachable. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Or as he's saying, part of your growth and maturity will be is that you understand that confessing is a healthy thing to do. It's a gift. It's an opportunity to open the way for even more blessing in your life. Deep confessing leads to deep blessing. But also in the New Testament, notice what John says. It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of his son continues to purify us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. This is written to believers now. To forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James 5.16. Confess your sins to one another, fellow believers. Why? Why? Because it's not because we need to regain our standing with God, but our fellowship. You know, just we recently studied in Ephesians... Wasn't it incredible, the first three chapters, we learned that because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, everyone who looks to him and trusts in what he has done for them has a brand new identity and standing with God that can never be taken away. The reason it can never be taken away is because when Jesus said, it is finished, it is enough, our salvation is based on what he did for us, not on what we do for him. Therefore, our standing can never be taken away. Notice what Daniel prays. He says, I'm praying as one of your people. I didn't lose that when we sinned against you. We're still in a covenant of love with you. The problem is, is that we've wrenched our fellowship with you and we've shamed your name terribly. Therefore, that, that, that calls for owning up. That calls for saying the same. That calls for humility. That calls for something to be cleansed. Oh God, oh God. And he begins to see all that, so he's not doing that. Let me just use an illustration. Some of you have seen me use this illustration before, but I can't improve on it. It's like one of the best ones I've ever heard, and I think of it often in my own life. Years ago, a guy that mentored me, a pastor that had been in California before he came to the Chicago area, told me of how when he was out in California, there was a church that had one of those great big commercial ovens in their kitchen. You guys have seen probably. And uh, so they said, what happened is one day it just stopped working. So they call the uh, oven repair guy. He comes out, and uh, he says, there's nothing wrong with the oven. Nothing wrong with the stove. And uh, so it, he says, it must be something else. So then they called the gas company out. This is supposed to be a propane tank here. <laughs> and uh, so they called the gas company out, and they said, hey, you know, are we out of gas or out of supply? You know, they said, no, it's, it's completely full. There must be a problem between the oven and the gas supply. So it was a lot of work, but they pulled the oven out, and they found that in this tiny little pipeline, this little um, little uh, copper pipeline, what had crawled in was a little spider, and it had spun a web so thick that no power could get to the oven. And what was the solution they had to get rid of the spider and the spider web for there to be a flow of the power supply and the Bible says is that sin separates us from God for believers not in an ultimate sense but it it puts a wedge. It it something comes between us and the fellowship is not the same some of you know what I'm talking about. If, you're, if your fellowship with somebody is not good and you're at the grocery store and you see them coming down your aisle, what do you do sometimes with your cart? <laughs> right? I mean, we, we just, we avoid. And so what he's saying is, come on. Deep confessing will keep the pipeline open so that deep blessing can flow your way. But shallow confessing, We'll just say, well, I'll just keep wiping the spider webs away and maybe the spider will go away. No, 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 no. He says, go to the heart. Say what I say. Call it what I call it. Why? So that my power can flow once again through the pipeline. Notice another thing Daniel's prayer of confession. He asked God, restore your city and sanctuary for your sake. For your sake, he says. Verse 17, verse 19. I was really struck by this. You know, I told you that I try and soak in the scripture every week because I have this privileged opportunity that you afford me and the other pastors. And so I probably read this 50 or 60 times this week, listened to it. And I just was struck again by how he says, Look, do this for your sake. This isn't all about me. Your name. I want your name. Hallowed be your name. Your person. Your character. We have sinned against it. We've spat on it. We have dishonored your name, but for your sake, please, please, please restore. Just like you promised through Jeremiah that you were going to do. Do it, Lord. Please do it. Wow, what a prayer. What a prayer. Can I say one last thing about this before we go to the prophecy? Sometimes when I am aware of my sin, I'm more bothered by how embarrassed I am than I am about how much God has been hurt by what I've done. And Daniel is not like that. While he's ashamed, he is also more concerned about what he's done to God, and his relationship with God, the fellowship with God. So, let's look at the prophecy. Notice that Daniel's, the prophecy, It starts in verse 20, and I want to ask you to be ready to read in verse 23 in that second gray box. So here's what happens. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in the swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice which... Friends, interesting comment here. Since Jerusalem had fallen, there hadn't been any evening sacrifices that were normally set up in the temple for probably 50 years. Has Daniel forgot what God intended? No. The evening sacrifice happened at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, so this tells us what time Gabriel shows up. So now we come to verse 23. Are you ready to read with me? As soon as you began to pray, a word went out which I have come to tell you for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. Verse 24, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. Know and understand this, From the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the word there is Messiah, the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out for him. And now I'm going to settle this mystery once and for all. I'm kidding. There are many different Christians that have talked about what in the world does this mean? So let me just make a few observations before I give you my best shot. God's prophecy of 77s, if you're following along, notice, is an answer to Daniel's prayer, for he's esteemed. It's an answer to Daniel's prayer. I list out to the right there Isaiah 65, 24, where God says to his people, Before they call, I will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. What a great promise. And it follows in the same way when Daniel says, while I was still praying, he says at least two or three times, while I was still praying, Gabriel shows up. Wow. And here's the stuff he says to me. Interesting. And he says, I'm coming to bring this message to you. I want you to know, here's the message from heaven in part. You are highly esteemed. Wow. Would that encourage you? God said that to you. God wants to say that to all of us. Look at Isaiah 66, 2, here on the screen. Let's read it together. These are the ones I esteem and look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. You know one reason why Daniel's highly esteemed? Because of his attitude, his posture. The Bible says God's spirit towards us is this, is look, I have high esteem for anyone who, first of all, is humble and contrite as they walk through life, but also who trembles at my word. Now, what does that mean? Some people think that it means that you, like, you regularly read the Bible and just waiting for God to slug you one or slam you one. That's not what it means at all. What he means is, is that a person that trembles at his word goes, oh my goodness, this is holy. Oh my goodness, this is not just words. This is what God says. God says. The opposite of trembling in his word is when we get cocky and careless and live loose. We go, Oh, okay. Hmm, I guess it's true. And that's just shallow living. And he goes, No, Daniel, Daniel, you have been really taking what I say to heart, and I just esteem you for that. The word there for esteemed is as the idea of you're precious to me. Man, we can do life together when you think like that so much better. Wow. But notice that also God's prophecy invites Daniel to look past, if you're following along, to look past 70 years and see even farther. He invites Daniel to look past 70 years and see even farther. You notice how he said, look, the whole thing that got me praying is that I realized we're getting close to Jerusalem being restored or at least that process starting. And he goes, you know, I know you've been concentrated on that 70 years. Now I want to talk to you about 70 weeks of years or 70, you know, weeks of something. And it could be, and this, 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 could mean, this could mean a lot of different things. Friends, The number seven in the Bible stands for completion, for perfection. So in a way, saying, I want to just tell you about some of the things I'm going to be doing. So what I want to show you up here on the screen in just a moment is, is perhaps one way to understand that. But let me go to the next thing here. God's prophecy is, is that it points to Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one. I, I, don't, I, don't, I know most Christians would agree that what starts to get pointed out here is when he uses the word anointed one, it's one of the few places in the Bible in the Old Testament that talks about Messiah where it actually uses the phrase. Messiah, anointed one, in Greek, Christ. So when we say Jesus Christ, we mean Jesus Messiah. And that, that, is, that is mentioned here. So it's my conviction that what God does is he shows Daniel in advance what he's going to do in Jesus. And one of the reasons that I suggest that is in verse 24. If you look at that, he says, look, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting not temporary righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place does any have you have you can you imagine anybody that's ever accomplished that Jesus has Jesus has his work on the cross and his resurrection has accomplished those six things and more I might add But also, if you read the New Testament, look at what Peter says after he had a lot of Bible studies with Jesus himself. He says, concerning this salvation, the prophets, Daniel was one of those, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Wow. Daniel experiences an incredibly deep blessing after his deep confessing. Where he gets a chance to see the Messiah from a distance and knows that God's doing a lot more than just restoring Jerusalem. Friends, let me say a couple things. In this prophecy, Daniel is told that Jerusalem will be destroyed again after it's rebuilt. You would have gone, bummer. But in the middle of all that, he's raising up someone greater than Jerusalem, greater than the temple. Jesus said, you know, destroy this body and I will raise it up in three days. What he's saying, he's saying, "You, you destroy this temple, God's building a better temple, me. And I'm the one that anoints the most holy place. I am the most holy place. I am the holy of holies in human flesh, John 1 tells us. So it's just an incredible thing. He helps them look farther. You know, some of you know that in June, I flew out to Missoula, Montana with my family for our son's wedding. And so we had a little time the day of the wedding to go up. And some of you, if you've been to Missoula, there's this great big M outside of town on one of the mountains there outside of town. So we decided to climb the M. So uh, we were making our way up, and my oldest son, our oldest son and uh, daughter and daughter-in-law were going up there. And as we made our way up, the oldest son and I decided to go up higher and see if we could go up to the precipice because uh, it wasn't a super high mountain. And as we kept getting up there, we, right when we thought we got to the peak... We'd see there was more. Anybody ever experienced this? And what I think God's saying to Daniel here is this look farther than 70 years, look farther than your sin. Look to my son, Jesus, who is the great mountain in Daniel 7, who will bring about something brand new, everlasting righteousness. And look at that next line. By his death, he'll bring everlasting righteousness. By his death. Wow. He will be put to death. In one sense, he'll have nothing, but he will have accomplished everything. So I want to just show you a couple thoughts here before we wrap this up. So. What some scholars have tried to do is is say, how do we understand this? So the passage talks about seven sevens, 62 sevens, and one seven. Now, if these are weeks of sevens, or, uh, you know, so then here's some possible ways to understand this. And it all depends on what timetable you might begin with. So please know, there are Christians that I respect in all different kinds of camps that'll give you different ideas on this. The one thing I want to just make sure that doesn't get lost today. It's about Jesus. (laughs) It's not about getting all of our timetables and charts right. It's about Jesus. But if you take 49 years, then again, there were a number of different decrees that would go out. Cyrus made one. Xerxes made a couple different decrees that said, go back and rebuild Jerusalem. I'll help you. And sometimes it got delayed. Sometimes it got neglected by the people of God. So it took a while to do that. But if we go about the time that this is probably happening, would it, well, it would have been in the 530s, 530s or so, 539, whatever. Daniel is seeing that eventually, and I believe that in Ezra 7 is probably the timetable it is. If you go by about 454, 458, and you go 49 years, you will come you know, to about 400 years before Christ. Give or take a few years. Again, I think that the big point is about Jesus. There's going to be, Malachi will be the last book of the Bible, and there will be 400 years of silence. Things will be sealed up, friends. And then, after that, there'll be like 434 years, which takes us past the birth of Christ and takes us right up to when he rides on a donkey into Jerusalem or his baptism. I'm fine with either one. All I know is this. It brings us right about the time when Jesus shows up. Now, after this, what a lot of people argue is is that his first coming, these first two sets of sevens represent his first coming, and then everything that happens in this last one seven is a much longer space where it's not until his second coming. Some people believe this will involve the Antichrist and all that. I'll just tell you, my own lean is that all these 77s represent what Jesus accomplished here on earth by his death and resurrection, and that the last seven refers to what he says in Matthew 24, is that Jerusalem will be destroyed. And that's when sacrifices go away. When the Roman general Titus in 70 AD came in and sacked Jerusalem, friends, the whole sacrificial system went away. And Jesus, because of what he had accomplished, became the answer we most desperately need. Now all this is important for us to think about before communion Because we're about to celebrate what Daniel could only see from a distance. And now we live on the right side of the cross. Praise his name. What Jesus did on the cross, friends, is more than we can possibly imagine. But this just all leads to what are we going to do about confessing if we have trusted Christ? What do we do with confessing if we haven't? Let me ask you this closing thing if you look at the notes. No matter what, will I practice times of confession and stay right with god unblocked close nothing between us nothing hindering our fellowship while well, i practice times of confession what we're going to do today in the service and in communion it would never be adequate enough you might want to have your notes ready later but um it'll never be adequate enough of what god wants to teach us you know throughout the rest of our lives but we can practice something that can help us okay and let me say this every sunday i know there are some of you here that you may be skeptical, you may be an unbeliever, you may have had a terrible experience with religion, God, church, Jesus, the Bible, and so you're not even sure what you believe about that yet. The Bible wants you to know is that God is trying to bring every person to a place where they will recognize that they, not just Daniel, not just some other Christians, they too have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They have let God down. They have disobeyed Him. They have rebelled. All of us are sinners. But... Unless you admit that and unless you put your trust in what Christ has done, you'll stay a sinner and you won't have any power to change in the ultimate way. And the Bible says God doesn't want to leave us in that state so he asked everyone to confess that Jesus is Lord by their own choosing and acknowledge what he's done. But if you've already done that as a believer, then here's the thing. Are you willing to confess so that your fellowship stays rich? so that nothing comes between you. Are you you willing to keep short accounts? doesn't mean you have to take 10 hours and set aside. Are you willing to keep practicing deep confessing that leads to deep blessing, or are you going to practice shallow confessing that leads to shallow living? Every one of us got to wrestle with that. So here's what we thought we would do. I'm going to ask Kina Small to come out. We thought it might be helpful if she helps me as we practice. She's going to read on our behalf uh, some corporate prayers of confessing and then I'm going to lead us in individual confession. You notice in verse 20 said, I was confessing, Daniel said my sins and the sins of my people and so as Kina uh, reads in just a moment I want you to listen to what she's reading and just say, God this is for me too, this is for us. But the first thing we're going to do is read something from Daniel 9 together, let's read it from verse 4 Lord Lord You are the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Now, listen as Kina reads on our behalf
1: We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your word or to your servants who spoke in your name. We have not obeyed you, Lord. All of us have transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. We have not sought your favor by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. Lord, we have sinned and have done wrong. Lord, we have sinned and done wrong in our words. We have spoken destructive and unwholesome words with our mouths. We have done wrong by cursing, criticizing, gossiping, condemning, and complaining. We're a people of unclean lips. Lord, please cleanse our mouths so they may glorify you by building and sharing your good news upon many. Lord, we have sinned and done wrong in our thoughts. We have used our minds and imaginations in unwholesome ways. We have done wrong by lusting after power, position, possessions, and people. We have nursed grudges, plotted revenge, and entertained ideas and plans without ever consulting with you. Lord, please renew our minds so they may understand, create, and meditate on all that pleases you and brings you joy. Lord, we have sinned and done wrong in our actions We have purposely done what you told us not to do and left undone what you commanded us to do. We have elevated our personal rights and individual freedoms above your wisdom and commands and justified wrong actions. Please forgive our wrong actions and neglect. Give us a clean heart that is ready and willing to do all that pleases you. Lord, we do not make these requests of you because we are righteous but because of your great mercy. For your sake, our God, and in keeping with your righteous acts, restore our fellowship with you, we pray. Amen. Amen. On the back of your notes are the words
0: that Kina just read. And they may be helpful to you in the days ahead, or they may be helpful to you as you think about individual confessing in just a minute. But do you notice at the bottom there, there's that circle with the word tuit in there? Some of you know what this stands for, but I've never been able to forget it since someone showed it to me years ago. Here's what uh, actually often goes with this little circle. This is a round it. Tuit. These tuits are hard to obtain, especially the round ones. It is an invaluable item. For years, you may have said, I'll do that when I get around to it." Now you have a round to it of your very own and have no more excuses. We all, we all struggle with getting around to confessing, do we not? And the only way to move from shallow to deep confessing is to stop avoiding, to stop putting it off. So if your heart is open to doing this today, please do not feel coerced then I want to lead you in a time of individual confessing. Daniel 9.20 tells us that Daniel was not only confessing the sin of his people, but also his own sin. As we prepare to take communion, we want to provide everyone an opportunity to do what Daniel did. The Lord invites and challenges us to come to him for his cleansing and surgery. So follow along as I lead us. First, ask yourself... Are there any ways I've been sinning in my words that I need to confess to the Lord? Take time to specifically do that now, silently. next, ask yourself, are there any ways I've been sinning in my thoughts that I need to confess to the Lord? Finally, are there any sinful actions that I need to confess to the Lord and make right with Him? On the screen are some words based on Psalm 51 that King David wrote. Read them with me, if you would. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your great compassion. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow.